It's my pleasure to be here. Very excited for the opportunity to come again. Sorry I couldn't bring the girls, we, we tried, <laughs> we really did. But I think the, uh, the long day would have been too much for my wife and the kids. But, um, but, they're, but they wanted me to say hi, even the little babies. And, and I want to thank you for your prayers. Uh, first time dad, two kids, a little rough for me. But, but God's been good and uh, the transition's kind of um, just been moving the way he wants it to. So keep us in your prayers and I'm encouraged by you guys. Just encourage by this church and um, by the work that you do in this town. So I praise God for you. So let's look at this, um, this text. Well, before I do, just let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to hear your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, uh, transform our hearts, and make us more and more into the image of your Son. In Christ's name, amen. This is a, this is a very popular text, uh, one that's often used uh, during a certain season, and it's one that we've heard before, so it's not new usually to any one of us here. But what I want to do is take a different look at it. So I want to come at it from a different angle, just kind of show you some things about this text uh, that, that, uh, that I've seen. Uh, for one, let me paint for you the picture of what's going on here. Here, here Jesus is surrounded by, by, by a huge number of his disciples. A lot of them are believers, a lot of them are not, but he's surrounded by them. And the reason why he's surrounded by them is because they think that he's headed to Jerusalem to establish the kingdom of God. And so they are excited. The crowd is pushing in on him. They want him to head towards Jerusalem. He's going in that direction. And they're very motivated to be around him in this particular time. We know this because the prior chapter, actually that chapter just ahead, says that Jesus tells them a parable because he saw that they thought that the kingdom of God was coming immediately. Right? And so Jesus kind of corrects them to say, in a sense, that there will be a delay before the kingdom is established. Yes, he is the king. Yes, he is the one that they're looking for. But the kingdom that they want right now will not happen right now. There will be a delay in its establishment. But the people hear this and still are looking for the kingdom anyway. And they still are hoping Jesus establishes this kingdom anyway. And it's in that atmosphere that we find Jesus begin to take steps to push things forward. For one, one of the main things he's pushing forward is one week from now, he will be on the cross dying. And he, is, he wants this to happen. And so this is one of the actions that he takes to ensure that the right people are angered, are upset, and begin to move towards his death. And so Jesus takes the first move. And one of the first things he does is he calls two disciples to himself. These are two unnamed disciples. We don't know who they are. They were likely among the crowd and likely had followed Jesus throughout his ministry. And imagine yourself in this position, right? There's a huge crowd. People are excited. They think the kingdom of God is coming. And here is Jesus calling you to him. I don't know about you, but I would be like, this is my moment, right? This is it. He's got a great thing for me. He's got a great plan for me. He's about to establish his kingdom. I'm Excited! I'm hoping, I'm longing for this moment, and here it finally comes. And Jesus calls the two disciples, and they're walking towards it. I imagine them nervous, them scared, them all kinds of emotions going on, wondering what the master is going to ask of them. And, 
And he approaches them and he says to them, go to the other town, grab me a donkey. That is not what I would have expected at that moment. I would have wanted a whole lot more than that. I would have wanted him to call me to some great event or call me to sit to his right side or to his left just to do something bigger. But two unnamed disciples are called to simply go to the next town and grab a donkey. And here's what we can get from this. I think for one, what we notice is that obedience sometimes will go unnoticed. Your obedience will go unnoticed. And so you have to be careful then what your motivations are, right? Because if you're motivated to obey Christ, to follow him, because other people will, will see you, then that is to the full extent the reward that you will get. People will see you, they'll say good work, pat you on the back, and that's it. Right? That's the end of that, right? You've gotten your reward. The other motivation then we must be careful is that we're not motivated towards earthly rewards. And it's that we do good, we obey God because the intention is that he will somehow repay us in this life. That God somehow now owes us because look at the good that we've done. And so we do what God commands because we're longing for, looking for earthly rewards from him. That's karma. Do good, get good. Not grace. I don't deserve it. But out of his goodness, out of his kindness, out of his love for me, he's poured out on me. That is what we want. And so it's important then that your focus remains to the glory of God. Not that people would see, not that you would gain. And even though it may look or seem insignificant in your eyes, as long as your motivation is to the glory of God, then it counts for something. And so we have two unnamed, unimportant, appears disciples who are approached and are told something to do something so simple, go to the other town and grab the donkeys. And here's what we find in this, is that they're obedient and that they're faithful and they go and they do it even though it's small. And so we must find ourselves in in that position, in their position, that the things we count small, we don't put aside, right? We don't turn away from, but that we remain faithful in the small things. We remain consistent in the things that no one sees, that we remain obedient to the things that God has called us, despite the fact that they appear small in our eyes. And so for us, then it becomes that our everyday activities, are we faithful to encouraging each other? Are we faithful in praying for one another? Are we faithful in reading the scriptures? Are we faithful when no one, absolutely no one will see you be obedient? Well, no one will see you forgive before someone even requests that you forgive them, right? Will, will we continue in those things when no one sees us? No one hears us. No one saw. No one, no one cares. Will you remain consistently faithful in the small things? And so then it's not always go big or go home. It's not always that. It's not always imagine that there is the big things. And so we wait. And so we wait for God to present to us these large and these amazing things. No, it's most of the time, oftentimes, it's the things that he presents to us every day that we skip over. We skip over encouraging each other. We skip over praying for each other. We skip 
over each other, waiting for the large things to come along. So it's important that we remain consistent and faithful. But in saying that, I have a fear or a concern that I have. And it's that most of you, like probably me, will make this into a checklist, right? And the idea is, yes, he's, he's right. He's right in saying that I ought to be more faithful. I ought to be more consistent. And so the idea then is let me create a sort of checklist. Let me make sure that I get back to praying. Let me get sure that I get back to reading my Bible. Let me just make sure that I do A, B, C, and D every day. And so it becomes a checklist, something we do quick and quickly, something we get done. And so God becomes a list of things we have to do and not a relationship that we're maturing and growing in. Or even worse than this, we use the opportunity to gauge our own goodness, right? And so we do pray and we do read our Bible and we use that to gauge the fact that we're good, Or we use that to gauge the fact that we will get from God. And so look at me, I've done good, right? Look at me, I've I've, I've had a great week in Christianity. I've read my Bible this week, I prayed, I did all this, I am a good Christian. And so we base our goodness off of ourselves and not off Christ. And we forget that it's his work and that it's his righteousness, that it's his success that makes us presentable and acceptable in the presence of God. Here's what it looks like. I want to paint a picture for you. If you've ever played the game of darts, it's a game where it's a circle, right? Ever smaller circles. And in the middle of that circle is the smallest circle. And the goal of darts is to focus your mind, focus your heart, focus your your eyes, because you have a small dart in your hand and you want to hit the dot that's in the middle, the smallest dot. And so I, I don't want to confuse you, right, in saying that if you simply, that there's no reward for praying, there's no reward for reading your scriptures, there's, there's, that there's no gain from these things, because there is a gain in these things. But the focus, the main point, like darts, The smallest dart that we want to go for, the smallest spot, the main focus is Christ. Because you can do all of those things. You could go through the checklist, you could go every day. But if Jesus is not who you are pursuing, if he is not the one you're longing for, if all of it, if all of your doing, if all of your consistency, if all... If your going is not for him and to his glory, then yeah, you will get rewards. You will hit the outside. You will hit those bigger circles. But remember, in all of that, aim, pursue, focus to hit the mark, which is the Son of God and him glorified. And so then it becomes really important in that we understand the error that's made Right? Because the error that's made is I've done A, B, C, and D. So I did my morning devotionals. Right? I'm done for today. Right? I went to church on Sunday, so I'm, I'm done for today. And we make a mistake in doing this. And the mistake we've made is that we've, 
We've made him into a list of things and not into a relationship. A.W. Tozer puts it this way. He says that the real error would be to suppose that once he has actually found us and we have found him, that the search is over. Actually, once you've embraced him, the quest to know him really begins. On the one hand, finding God means that our hunger and thirst for righteousness has been satisfied. But on the other hand, finding God means that the quest continues forever. For our hunger and thirst is infinite and is only satisfied in eternity. The tragedy is that many of, our, many of God's children have once quenched their spiritual thirst and tasted God's goodness, abandoned the pursuit, and settled for the long-ago memory of satisfying. We, we sometimes settle. Right? We settle for our morning devotionals. We settle for our Sunday services. We settle for A and B. We settle knowing that we are not satisfied. That God is the goal. He is the pursuit. He's who we ought to long for and go after. Anything less than that, we miss out. Anything less than that, we lose out. And we see this in the scripture, right? Because in the doing of good, we ought to know that God is the one that's motivating us, that's empowering us, that's enabling us to do what we do. Right? Paul pulls in this grace, says, but by grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which has bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But he says, but I labored more abundantly than everyone else. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. This is what you want to look for in everything that you do. Be it small in your eyes or great. That the focus be the grace of God in this. And so whether you're being asked to turn on the lights, bring a cup of water, encourage a brother, pray for a sister. The glory of God in this, the grace of God in this is why you ought to be motivated to do it. That's why you ought to be running to do it. I am motivated. I'm encouraged by God. From him I do all that I do to the glory of God. And so we, we see disciples who go out and simply get donkeys. And I, and I hope that in that moment they were just enjoying the fact that the son had requested something of them and they went out and they did it. And I would hope for you too that in every moment when you're asked that the son is your motivator, that he is your encouragement, and you run out and you do it as well. And so then it's important then that we keep Christ center and not a checklist, not a day-to-day activity, right? not a Sunday service, but Jesus. And so... Moving on, we see in this story then, the the disciples come back and they have the donkey. They're really excited. They bring it to Christ and they set him up on it. And the crowd is going wild. Everybody is excited that he's there. So here is what we start to see. The getting of the colt goes exactly as Jesus had told them it would go. This is amazing to me. 
Because nowhere in my life has ministry ever gone exactly as it was supposed to go, right? I set a plan, I go forward, and it's never exactly as I intended. But Jesus is so wonderful in that he tells them how the very conversation is going to go and what their response should be. And here's what I think we can gain from this, is that nothing, absolutely nothing, is apart from Christ and his power. He knows the kinds of conversations we will have. He knows with whom we will have it with. He knows the intent, the, how it will end, how it will go. God is in complete and utter control of every aspect of our lives, right? And so that is something that's actually easier said than believed because it's oftentimes that when that's said, people tend to look at me and go, well, what about the difficult times or the hard moments when I struggled with A, B, and C? Where was God in those moments, Where was he? What was he doing? Why did he let that happen? I wish I had the perfect answer for everyone who asked me that, but here's what I do have. I imagine myself with Christ doing this moment. This is an exciting moment. This is a great moment. But one week from now, he will be suffering, he will be beaten, and he will be on a cross dying. I imagine being his disciple and not understanding what's going on. How is it that this great king who had done such wonderful miracles is now experiencing this dark moment? I would see no purpose to it or no gain for it. I would see absolutely nothing good about it. But if God is able to take that moment and redeem it and make it a great moment for all of us, how much more is God able then to take our moment? that appear dark and lost and having no gain and having no no exit strategy and having no, it looks like that there's no good will come out of this. If God's able to take Christ's most darkest moment, then surely he's able to take our darkest moments and turn them as well. So then we can believe him. We can trust him in every moment, no matter how deep, no matter how dark, that yes, he still remains in control. Yes, he's still capable. Yes, he understands the conversations. Yes, he knows its outcome. Yes, he, he feels the pain. Yes, he's with us in it. And so then for the believer, there's no lost moments. We don't lose. Even Even our most difficult moments work for our good. Even our most harshest times, God is turning them around to make them work for us and to turn us into the image of his son. We can be sure of this. So we have a God who is in complete and utter control. If he can control where and how our donkey is and where it's at and who picks it up, Surely he can control our lives. Surely he can do that. Jesus receives the donkey. He gets on it and he's riding down. And here's what we start to see. The crowd begins to say some amazing things about him. Some powerful things about who he is and his identity. They begin to declare him the king to come and the great and amazing king. And people hear this and are offended 
And I want to tell you, I could talk about Jesus all day at work and with friends, as long as he's a philosopher, as long as he's a teacher, as long as he's a great man. But the minute that I talk about his identity as the son of God, it's an issue. People are offended. And that's not only to say that's the world. That sometimes becomes us as believers. Jesus oftentimes said things where we take offense to his words or his disciples took offense to the things that he was saying. And they had to check themselves and correct themselves. I think of many of friends that I've lost over the years because I've had to say, hey, uh, brother, the, the direction you're going in doesn't seem to fit with scripture. I, I, I want to kind of show you this and I want to pray with you and I want to encourage you. I want to build you up. And the response has been, who do, you, who do you think you are? What makes you say these things to me? Like, no, no, it's nothing negative. I just, I just see you going a different direction. I want to point you to what the scripture says. I'm here as a help. I'm not here to, to judge you or to... And they take offense. And as believers, I'm sure we've all have experienced this. And there's absolutely nothing you can do. And all actually you can do is continue to share the gospel in love and in grace. But the minute you do so, and you're doing so in a way where the son of God, his words are clear and his power is present, right? And you're clear about what he wants, people will take offense. And as a believer, you're encouraged to continue, to continue to share and to continue to believe and to continue to pray but never, ever to remove his identity. Never, ever withhold who he is in your life. Never, ever hide or shrink back your faith. You're told to ever, to never, ever do that. But in every way, in every opportunity, express it. So here's what we see Jesus allowing. He's allowing the crowd to express his identity And the Pharisees are upset and they get angry and they start to yell and they start to say, stop them from saying what they're saying. And Jesus' response is, even the rocks would cry out. For me at this moment, this is where I would want to say, okay, let's quiet this crowd down because I want to see some talking rocks. That is my first thought when reading this. How come everybody keeps talking? I want to see, but that's not what he means here. At least that's not what I think he means here. What we find is that Jesus' identity is declared by nature itself. That even if man won't say anything, the very world, the very universe declares the glory of God. Paul says this in Romans 1 and Psalms 119. We see this over and over throughout the scriptures that the infinite, majestic power of God is declared by nature. So we ought to be careful how we treat the earth. We ought to be careful how we take care of the things that we have because it declares Christ's glory. But here we get to the point I want to make for you, right? Because because here it is, we see Christ moving towards Jerusalem. We see the donkey has been brought to him. We see him on top of it, right? We see people shouting and declaring that he is the son of God, that he is great, Right? That he is the king to come. We see people hoping and longing for the kingdom of God to come. We see people who are offended at this moment. And we see people who are glad at this moment. 
And we see a Jesus that's moving forward step by step towards Jerusalem. And when he finally gets to see it, a lot of people don't see his response. And and, and here's why I think that is. Because his disciples are excited and they want to see the kingdom come. And that's us, right? As believers, we are excited. I don't know about you, but I want to see the king. I want to see Jesus return in my lifetime. I want to see his kingdom established. And that's the kind of church we all are, are to be. That's the kind of people we're called to be. People who believe and who long for the coming king. Who wait for him. Who call to him and say, come. Why is there a delay? Why must it be so long? That's good. And we ought to be that kind of a church. But what we often miss in this is that Jesus is standing and he overlooks and he sees Jerusalem and his response is to cry. And he starts to shed tears over the city. And he says, oh, that they would know the things that would bring them peace. What the people didn't understand, what the crowd didn't get through his previous parable through him coming in a donkey, is that the king and the kingdom, when it is fully established, will be to the destruction of the enemies of God. They will see their end. They will see Christ's return, and they will wail in fear and say, woe, woe is me. Woe is me. Entire cities will fall. Nations and people will run in fear. But that is not why the king has come now. And so we see a king then who looks at a broken city, one who's unrepentant, one who does not care for him, one who's unsure of what his intentions are. We see the king looking at the city and he starts to shed tears because they do not know him, because they do not long for him, because they do not hear his words. In the middle of this, we see his disciples shouting for joy for his kingdom. But Jesus has made it clear when his kingdom comes, it will be to the destruction of people. And here's what that means for us. That's the destruction of our neighbors, of our friends, of our family, of our co-workers. So yes, we ought to say, Christ come now, but at the same time, We ought to look at him and see the fact that he's calling to people who are stubborn, calling to people who have not heard, and calling to people who are unrepentant, right? This is who we were, and he didn't establish his care. He waited for us. Now that we are in his kingdom, how much more should we see his face and see his tears and see the cities and see the towns and see our neighbors and see our our cousins and our co-workers and cry for them? can't be disciples who are just one-sided. We have to be disciples who call out for the coming king and at the same time cry out to those who have not heard and who don't know what real peace is and who don't know that the master has come to bring peace and encouragement and to bring forgiveness of sin and to wipe out 
the past and to create a future full of grace and love. We ought to be going down two roads in a sense that will one day intersect. But let's not wait for that intersection to say, you see, I told you so. We don't want to wait for that day. We want to instead be the believers who go, look, now is the time to believe. Look, now is the time to experience the joy and the grace that comes from God. Look, right now the sun is shedding tears because you have refused to believe. So let's be believers that are pursuing both. And not wait till the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you, you are great. And you do great work. Father, we thank you that you control every moment of our lives. Every aspect. Every decision. That you call us to believe and you call us to obey. And you call us to be faithful. To call us to long for your coming. At the same time, Father, we thank you that you showed us your heart. It's for the lost. It's for the broken. It's for the unrepentant. It's for the sinner. We thank you that you transformed us. And we pray, God, that you would send us to preach and to share the gospel with those who you look for, who you search for. In Christ's name, amen.